Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Marv Bands. The Marv Band is the next big thing in player development. Marv's training patented handle design allows for more muscle activation and additional exercises, including movement prep for hitters, making it the go-to tool for arm care and hitting activation. Use code AOTC for 10% off of team sets and check it out at www.marvtraining.com. Today we have on Joe Espada, bench coach for the Houston Astros. Joe grew up in Puerto Rico and attended college at the University of Mobile before being drafted 45th overall in the 1996 draft by the Oakland A's. Joe played 10 years in the minors before retiring and getting into coaching. He got his first coaching job in 2006 with the Marlins and was named the big league third base coach in 2010. In 2014, he was hired by Brian Cashman and became an assistant to the GM and then the infield coach with the Yankees. In 2017, he was hired by the Astros to be the bench coach. And on the show, we discuss lessons learned throughout his professional career. We discuss how working in the Yankees front office helped him to become a better on-field coach. And we dive deep into how to learn about and build a culture in the clubhouse. This episode is so good with Joe Espada. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this uh, for about a week now that, that we decided to sit down and so excited to get to learn from you today. And, and I know that, that our listeners are tuned in and they've got their notepads ready. Uh, but just to give them a little bit of a background on you, I know you grew up in Puerto Rico, but that's about to the extent I, as I know your baseball background besides your professional career. But can you tell us a little bit about uh, that and then how you got how you decided to get into coaching? Yes, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and like uh, every Puerto Rican kid, you know, grew up loving baseball, passionate about baseball, wanted to be a major league player. Um, so I played uh, American Legion ball, played Little League, uh, was able to travel and represent uh, our, my country uh, in uh, the age of 16, which was great. You know, the first time I put a Puerto Rico uniform on and 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 I and I wore it with pride, and uh, it was great, you know. So um, in at the age of eighteen, received a scholarship to go to University of Mobile to play college baseball. I was not drafted out of high school, but did get a chance to um, to play college ball, and uh, really was a highlight of my life. Uh, really get to uh, experience things and grow up uh, since you know being you know you know being at home, you know I realized that. Uh, going to college was going to be a different experience. Obviously, mom and dad are not there anymore to do your laundry, to cook you breakfast or dinner. You know, it's time for me to become a man and, um, and make uh, good decisions for myself if I was going to accomplish uh, my dream goals, which is uh, playing the big league. So, yeah, I went to Mobile. I spent three years there and got drafted in the second round by the Oakland A's. So, um, that was, that was an unbelievable day, you know, watching the draft the other day. Um, it took me back to that day when, you know, uh, my phone uh, rang that day at home and, um, you know, I was selecting the second round by the ace and the emotion and the feelings and the amount of uh, love and, and happiness in our home, you know, um, I was able to, to remember that day. And, and uh, but I did that. I played 10 years in the minor leagues. And towards the back end of my career in AAA, I started kind of 
becoming a coach myself. You know, I was, there were some younger players uh, that were uh, playing in front of me and I, I found myself mentoring some of those guys. I found myself uh, helping them become better players, helping them with their defense, helping them um, with how to play the game the right way. Um, uh, the last two years, um, you know, I remember talking with the farm directors and the GMs and they pretty much said, Joe, you know what, you know, we would like to sign you uh, just to, you know, play and be an insurance policy for our big league team. But also we have a couple of young players that we would like you to mentor, we'd like you to help you. And, <clears throat> you know, I realized that, you know what, um, I kind of I like doing this. Uh, I like sharing my my you know my my experiences with players i i did not mind taking taking a back seat and being a teacher for other players uh, also it gave me an opportunity to watch other coaches coach and teach the game so i really enjoyed those last two years of triple a so in uh 2006 um i reached out to my good friend edwin rodriguez uh, who is uh, the manager for triple a for the pirates i'm uh, sorry for the padres now he was the first Puerto Rican manager with the Marlins. So I reached out to him. He was a manager with the Marlins at the time. I think he was in double A or a ball of double A. And I asked him if he could help me get a job with the Marlins as a coach. He said, Joe, no problem. We'd love to help you with that. And he did. He made a phone call. And a couple of weeks later, I got an offer to be a hitting coach at Greensboro or Carolina, a ball. And I did that for a couple of, for a couple of years. Uh, and the minor leagues and and Jonathan I tell you that uh till today I'm very grateful for Edwin and and for helping me out and for all the people that have helped me throughout this journey because without them I won't I couldn't be here uh, you know talking to you and in the position that I'm in today I love that and, and I love that you played for a long time in the minor leagues you said 10 years and and then you coached in the minor leagues for I think 15 and and so you've gotten to see so many cool perspectives you played for that long and, and then at the end of your career you mm -hmm. were a player coach basically which is really cool right and obviously the organization trusted you and your uh, your ability to be humble and, and do that because I'm sure that's not easy whenever you're like hey I want to write myself third in the lineup every single day and play right every day. Uh, and then I'm competing with these guys uh, and I don't really want to, you know, I mean, we all have a little bit of ego with that. And that's really cool that, that you were humble enough to do that. But just I'd, I'd like to know, you know, lessons learned within your playing career and then within your minor league career. How did how did doing those things set you up to be in the position that you are right now? Well, you already touched on one of them. And it was, you know, putting my ego to the side and realized that, you know, I think my my time already passed. You know, it was time to hand the baton to one of those younger players who were coming up and you were in a better position to, uh, to play at the major league level. Um, you know, uh, throughout my minor league career, I was a second round pick and I took, I took a lot of things for granted, um, where I thought that just because like, being a second round pick, things were going to be a lot easier than what I thought they were going to be. And mistakes were made throughout my minor league career. So I learned from those mistakes and I make sure that I pass those you know, share those stories and those mistakes I made with others. So they did not end up making the same mistakes that I made as a minor league player. Uh, but e putting ego to the side, putting players first, that's something that I saw that the best coaches that I had in the minor leagues were not afraid to state the extra hours helping the players. You know, I remember like someone like Kevin Long. He was, we were in, in, in Omaha. He was my AAA hitting coach. And after the games, 
you know, he stayed in the cage to 1130 midnight, just working with that guys. You know what I'm saying? He wanted to make sure that his players got every single opportunity to succeed at the major league level. And I respected that from Kevin Long. I just to name, just to name uh, one of them that uh, had an impact in my career early on, you know, so uh, that's something that cut my eye right away. And I wanted to be like that. I said, you know what? I did not play in the big leagues as a player, but there's a, there's another path. There's a different path to get to the big leagues, maybe as a coach, which I'm very passionate about. And so I decided I chose to take that route and, uh, man, you know, through hard work, uh, a lot of people have really helped me to make sure that, uh, you know, I keep myself sane, keep myself focused in my job, making, you know, they remind me, Joe, you know, it's about the players. It's not about you. Uh, so, um, I've done that and, um, it has worked out really well for me. No, that's really, really good and, and great advice. And, and honestly, I, uh, two, I had two friends of yours on uh, the last couple of weeks. And, and so one of the questions that I ask, is, you know, big league guys is what's the difference between working with like big league guys who, who are some of the best people in the world and then maybe working with guys on the minor league side. I've always said that a major league player can smell bull for, mm. from a mile away. They can't. They want to know if you're genuine. They want to know, uh, hum- you know, they want to see humility. You know, I think, my, you know, even major league players, uh, you know, I think they uh, like empathy. Can you relate to what some of these players are going through? Mm-hmm. Uh, what some of the things our nation is going through? They want to see that human side of it. Um, and the most important thing for, at the major league level is earning that trust. And it's not very easy to do. It takes time. But if you are able to be patient and wait for your turn and your timing is right, you'll be able to earn their trust. Because trust is earned. They're not just going to give it to you. Uh, The best coaches I've seen, the best leaders I've seen, the best managers I've seen are the ones that speak last. They They do all the listening. They are not afraid of sitting down and having everyone speak and everyone having a seat on the table and express their ideas. And um, the good ones that allow you to do that are the ones that earn trust and people are not afraid to follow them. Well, that's really, really good advice. And is that, is that because for me, whenever I was growing up, I grew up in a small town, very older thought process. So it was like, yes, sir, no, sir, fine line between uh, them and you and they are the authority figure and we do ev- almost everything that they say. Fast forward like six years after I got done playing and it, and it had started to shift a little bit. When you were growing up, I'm sure that it was a similar situation. Did you have to make that shift yourself from being a player to being a coach, did you take that authority role or did you continue to just be a mentor and, and an advocate for those guys too? Uh, you know what, that adjustability from player to coach, it takes, it takes some time, Jonathan. Um, you know, I, I remember I used to my first year, you know, uh, in Greensboro, you know, always using the term as, you know, when I used to play, I used to do it this way. And I, and I figure out right away, the players don't want to, they don't want to hear that. Uh, you know, your playing careers are over. Um, you use your experiences, those experiences when you were a player to teach. But players really want to know how can you help me be the best, bring the best out of me. So um, I learned that right away. 
um, you know, I, 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 I felt like uh, when I, when, if you put them first and, and they see that, that approach that, you know what, um, this guy really, really cares about me, really cares about my career, really cares about the success for our team, I'm, I'm going to trust this guy. So it takes time to adjust. It took some time for me to adjust. And that's always the message that I bring to coaches is as soon as they step off the field, they get, they get on the coaching side of things, you know, do more listening than talking. Let the players tell you how they want to be coached, how they want to be taught. And then, and then you go from there. If they ask you a question about, yeah, when you used to play, you know, tell me something the way you stood. Then you share those stories. But don't break the ice by telling your personal stories, how you used to, you know, hand, you know hold the bat and stuff like that and how you used to hit the ball and stuff like that. Because I, I learned quickly that a lot of players don't really, don't really want to hear that. I love that. And, and, and so something, that, something else that I was doing some research about you, you hit like 450 in college. That's insane. <laughs> Yeah, I was a really good college player. <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah. I was like, is that right? Like you see 350, you're like, dang, that dude can hit. You have 450 in college. It's crazy. Yeah, um, so I, was, I would definitely yeah. listen if you were telling me how to grip a bat if I was in college for sure. No, but you know what? It, it was, I was a really good college player. Uh, you know, it's funny because when you sign and, you know, you go to your first year of Pro Bowl and you walk in that, you know, that clubhouse and you think, well, you know, I was an All-American. I hit him 450 in college. But you know what? When you walk in there and you look around, all those guys in there hit 360 in, in college. They were all All-American. They all, and we are all the same boat and they're all competing for the same job. So it doesn't really matter. You know, it's what happens from that day on. You put that pro u- that uniform on and how you approach your career. You're able to make adjustments. How you're able to you know, make some, the right decisions to succeed at the major league level. You know, those are the things that matter once you put that uh, pro, you know, professional uniform on. No, that's really, really neat. And, you know, something that, again, I was doing some research about you, I asked uh, a couple of friends, and I, I know Jason Bell, who, who you know fairly well, uh, or very well, uh, said that you were one of his best mentors in coaching. And I, I wanted to throw that out there because I, I think that, that when you hear compliments like that, it's like, wow, you know, I, I made that. Yeah. I, I did that. Like you did that, which is really, really cool. And I know that that's something that you take pride in, but I also kept hearing the word connector come up. Mm-hmm. Like all, all of the articles that were written about you, it seems like you're a connector and you have such a unique perspective because uh, again, you grew up in Puerto Rico. And so you have that, that instant brotherhood with the Latin community, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yes. You speak great English and you played, you played college baseball in the United States. So it's really cool to be able to see that and to see how you can connect both of those sides, because it, again, it, it's not, it's, it's not like de facto segregation where it's like, Oh, we don't like those guys, but sometimes right. there is a language barrier. Right. Sure. And so how do you go about really trying to figure out how to make sure everybody in the clubhouse is connected? We're all on the same page. It's a brotherhood. You know what? First starts with trust. And we already touched on that earlier. You know, I think without trust, um, you know, teamwork, can be cannot be built you know i think trust uh, allows relationships to work um you know and also establishing a culture a culture of trust Mm -hmm. and a culture of of freedom a sense of freedom within the clubhouse where every anyone for everyone can be themselves not talking about you know not only the players but also the coaches in the front office 
you know, when you walk into our clubhouse here in Houston, there's something that we're taking um, pride on and it's our culture. You know, it's our players love to be around each other. They love each mm -hmm. other. They hold each other accountable. Um, so being part of something like that and building something like that is imperative for a team success. Mm -hmm. So you talk, you touch on, you know, you know, the, the different, you know, culture barriers, which, you know, inside our clubhouse, you know, you got the Latino players, you got the American players, you know, and just because uh, Latino players uh, speak Spanish doesn't mean that it all are the same. And it's not, that's not the case. You know, there is different cultures, you know, a Cuban player um, has different stories uh, than a Venezuelan player. Yeah. They have Spanish in common, but, you know, the Venezuelan player uh, right now um, is going, you know, their country is going through some turmoil when it comes to their, their, you know, their government. So those are personal experiences, personal uh, uh, stories that they share with you that it matters. Because if things are not, their things are not good at home, they're not going to be good at the office. You know, Cuban players, someone like Yuli and Aletmi Diaz and, mm -hmm. and uh, Alvarez, you know, how they came from Cuba to the U.S., you know, listening to their stories, understanding their stories, being able to relate with their stories. You know, some days they come in, they have something going on at home, which we really don't understand, but we got to take time to understand where they came from. So not mm -hmm. only learning the language, but learning the culture. And I do the same with the American players. I take time getting to know their personal level. So when it's time for me to coach them, uh, there's that human connection that we can vote with, that we could all see eye to eye and bring everything together for a common goal, which is winning World Series. Right. No, I, I love that. And, and I love that. The, I, I've been doing a lot of research on like uh, cohesion and team building. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's so much more complicated, right? We all want to, do, right. to be able to do that and to say that we were world champions, which is, which is awesome. But another thing that, that I, I'm trying to be more aware of something that you mentioned, and that's just the culture and where every one of our players is growing up and whether that's, you know, Oklahoma where I'm at or Washington DC or Venezuela mm -hmm. or Cuba and just trying to understand, you know, what's going on in their world, like just being mm -hmm. aware just so, so we can help them. And, and I think that that's going to have so much of an impact. And, and like you mentioned, that's going to help them to trust us. That's going to help yeah. us to help them. That's going to help us coach them to be a better human beings. And in the end, uh, better baseball players and, and I, I love that you mentioned that that's, that's a really really cool uh, topic and, and and something that we could spend a lot of time talking about I'm sure right Jonathan one thing that I found out is that sometimes you know talking to having a conversation with the player about you know what's going on at home or what's going on uh, you know in their in their country or just having a cool 20 minute 30 minute conversation in the lunchroom or on the plane, you know, players have stuff on, you know, carrying in their shoulder and they're just looking for someone to open up and, and, and speak. And you will see them the next day bouncing around because they unloaded that weight off their shoulder. And it had nothing to do with baseball, but it does. It has a lot to do with baseball because they're here trying to make a living for their family and they can't perform to the best of their ability because their countries, it's, it's in, in, in like on the, in war right now, you know, there, there isn't food at the grocery store. Their parents can't get a hold of, 
you know, toilet paper, for example. You know what I'm saying? This is, is real life. And those, you know, we can't forget that these guys are human and they, are, they have feelings. And that's where I, I mentioned earlier, empathy and to be able to connect and, you know, what's going on? Do you need a day off to make sure that everything, you know, you have to take those, those measures if you're going to, you know, make sure that you put every player in a, in a, in a position to, to succeed. No, I love that. And, and again, it's, it's a topic that, that I, I don't, I think culture is talked about a lot, but the nuts and bolts and how to do that and build it and the environment that we set up, I think that's, I, we talk about culture a lot, but is it, is it surface level? Like, Hey, we've got this culture, but are you actually doing that every day? Yeah. And, and, you know, getting to hear how in depth that, that you're going with, with just even getting to know one player, I think that's mm-hmm. how you set up the culture and the, and the environment that, that then leads to organic trust and we have, we can mm-hmm. empathize with them. We can get to know them. We can understand what motivates them, what makes them tick. And another thing that, that you've gotten to your last two organizations have been two of the best organizations in the world and the Yankees and now the Astros. And so I always like to ask the question, why, like why, <laughs> why? I mean, the Yankees are the Yankees, but why yeah. like uh, trying to understand that? And then the Astros just coming off a world series. And so what are some kind of maybe similar themes that they have, but also what sets them apart from everybody else? And then what continues and uh, in, in with each organization that may be unique to each other, but also helps them to be successful? Well, you know, hindsight, you know, you see the talent on the field. You know, let's just not hide that from, you know, we, really good players. But I always said the talent is not enough. You know, you need more than talent to win World Series and put your, ta- put your team in a position to, you know, uh, get to the World Series. Uh, but there's three things that I, that I, that I saw in New York um, and I saw that and I see here in Houston. And number one always starts with, like, both organizations, they embrace technology, the new ways of how to evaluate players, how to, you know, draft players, how to, you know, use data to help your players become better players. That's one thing they adapted to the new changes in the game, and they do it quickly. Um, the second thing I've seen is um, – Talent acquisition, but I'm talking about not only on the field, but I'm talking about throughout the whole entire organization. Uh, you know, in the front office, R&D department, minor league coaches, they hire some not only smart people, but people that can connect and understand both sides, you know, both technology and also understand the human side, how you're working, you know, how you're working with, you know, with players. Uh, but also – these people understand our culture. You know, we bring them in and understand that we are all here for the common goal, which is trying to improve our players, trying to do whatever it takes to adjust, especially during adversity, um, and how are we going to make sure that we all stay together uh, and provide the best information for our players, for our coaches, so when we take the field, we all are ready to go. So those are things that I've seen uh, that both organizations have done really well. Um, and and a quick, a quick, another quick note, Jonathan, one thing I also uh, wanted to mention about both of these organizations is how throughout the system uh, they provide uh, like uh, coaches with the technology that they need to help their players 
and help their coaches become better. So, you know, the technologies that we use on the major league level, um, they have it throughout their system. You know, players are able to look at video, look at data the same way we look at it in Houston. You know, coaches are have, uh, able to collect information to create their own uh, shift uh, defensive sheets. You know what I'm saying? So when they get to the major league level, they know exactly how we do it and we are all in the same page. So those are three things that I, I've seen in both uh, New York and Houston that they both do really, really well. Uh, that was an absolutely fantastic answer. You nailed that. And I, from the outside looking in, there are you can kind of start to see those things happen whenever you hear that. And I, I think that that's really, really neat. And you were actually the special assistant to the GM in New York. And I mean, you went from player to coach and then you were that's kind of a front office role from my right. understanding. And so that's obviously that's made you a better coach and a more well-rounded individual because you can see different sides of it. But kind of take us through what that was, what you did, and then how that's made you a better coach today. You know what? Best decision I've made in my career was 2014. Um, you know, it was it was a hybrid role. I did a lot of a lot of stuff, and I had a blast in 2014. It was like going to college, Jonathan, for me. You know, I wasn't exposed to a lot of things in Miami. When I got there, there was so much going on that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take time, a step back, and I'm going to tackle one thing at a time because I, I was handled. I was handed some 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 really cool assignments. So I wanted to make sure that I understood the, ass the assignment and do it to the best of my ability. So I, you know, I asked a ton of questions. I call people around the industry that I've been doing this, those kind of jobs um, to make sure that I, I was in a good position to do my job well. So um, I remember uh, I, did, I, I did an evaluation of our minor leagues. Uh, so I sat in, in the stands and I was actually watching the game you know, different perspective, different set of eyes. Now I'm sitting in the stands and watching the whole entire game and evaluating players, evaluating our coaches. Um, I also tackled some, some international uh, signees. Uh, you know, I was able to be part of the Moncada scouting, uh, you know, Moncada with the White Sox. I, you know, I really liked them at the time. So, you know, I was able to travel to the Dominican Republic and watch some of those tryouts with Cuban players. Uh, so that that was really cool. Uh, I was never exposed to that, and I had a blast doing that that, that stuff. But, um, you know, I was blessed to have an opportunity to work with Brian Cashman and Billy Epler. Uh, those were my, you know, uh, really great bosses. And, you know, we talked about earlier about freedom to be ourselves. Those guys are, you know, a perfect example of setting up a culture at a front office. You know, they do a really good job, and they allow you to be yourself. And, you know, you know, being in the war room in, in New York can be a very intimidating place when you're trying to express your opinion, but they made it comfortable because there was a culture of togetherness, uh, of unity, of, you know, there's no, there's no right or wrong answer. We all, there's only your opinion, please, you know, raise your opinion and, and, and then they make the decision. So, uh, it was it was an it was great it was a great uh, great year for me. Um, I was able to also uh, in depth uh, study on and research of shifting, um, since uh, that was something that I've always been very passionate about infield defense. So I was able to tackle some of that. Um, you know, watching our 
watching different games uh, at the major league level, but also in the minor league and how the space, you know, putting the spacing, putting the players in the best position for, to seal the holes on, on the diamond and uh, putting the best players in certain area of the field, well, you know, being creative with that. So I was able to do some research on that as well. Uh, but the, my best assignment that year, it was, I had a list of five players, five shortstop, and it was, uh, grading them, ranking them on who was going to be the next uh, successor for Derry Jeter at shortstop. So I have five names. Joe, you have as much time as you need. Go scout these guys, and we want to see a full report. Now, that was, that was awesome. I, you know, I, I traveled around the country, AAA players, Major League players, and you know, I did a very thorough research, uh, scouting report of those players, and present them to Billy Epler and, and Brian Cashman. Um, so I thought that was, uh, that was great. Uh, I really had a good time. And, uh, and then I found myself next year at the major league level with the, one of the shortstop that I ranked up there on top of my list, which was Didi Gregorius. Now I'm on the field with him trying to coach him. So great experience, best decision in my career. No, I love that. And, and again, it's, it's, it's so cool to get to see how the organization works from different viewpoints, because I think it gives you a better understanding of, of what is actually going on. And, and I think that sometimes we get so caught up on the coaching side that we may gripe about, you know, different, different sides, whether that's the front office or, or whatever, but we're so, we're so jaded in our view yeah, of what we see on the field a, every day. And to give you, to give you an example about that, Jonathan, you know, um, I rem- you know, when you're on the field as a coach, you know, and let's just say you're getting through that July trade deadline and you're like, man, we can really use a left-hander bat, or we can use an arm, or we can use this. You know, when I was with the Marlins in the big leagues, I was that coach. I was that coach knocking on the GM's office. Hey, Joe, what do you think? We need a bat. We need this. But there's more than just going and, and, and asking for a bat. There is a process that goes into that. So being in the office in 14, he said, Joe, if you want to acquire this bat, it's going to take us trading X, Y, and Z. Now, that's going to set us back two or three years. Is it worth taking that risk for that bat or a lesser player that might fit that role? And then we could keep these two or three prospects. So open my eyes up to, man, okay, I see what you say. You know, I understand what you're talking about. You know, so it's, it's you know, is that coaching mentality of winning, winning, winning. They want to win too in the front office, but they take a different route to accomplish it, you know, and, Stepping away from the field for that one year was able to understand why they do it that way. And now when I'm on the field and that July trip deadline goes, comes around, or why we shift the way we shift, I, I get it. I understand. Well, let's talk about shifting a little bit because it's something that has, has really caught the world on fire the last couple of years. But in 2015, it probably wasn't like that. There weren't – I don't know. I don't have the stat sheet on me, but I'm assuming that – teams just now in the last year or two have started to really shift a lot. And so tell us what that was like trying to really sell that. Because again, baseball is such a traditional game. It's like, no, the second baseman plays to the right of second base all the time. Right. And so it's like, well, maybe, maybe it shouldn't. So how did, how did you go about selling maybe the front office, but also especially the coaches and then the players on who are going to be playing those positions on where they should be setting up. And then obviously uh, I've got some other stuff with, within that, with the teaching aspect of it. But the, I think the first thing that we needed a, that we need to accomplish is selling the players on why it's important. And, and, and can you go into that a little bit? Yes. And you know, when it comes to the selling part, it's, 
is a combination of trust and communication. You can't sell your product unless people trust that your product is going to work. And the communication needs to be, you know, clear. And when I talk about clear, it's like crystal clear. You know what I'm saying? You got to show them the research. And, you know, I had a, a veteran group of players and a, very, a veteran group of coaches. And, you know, I'm talking about Hall of Famers, Hall of Fame manager. Uh, you know, there were some really smart people, capable people. People have been very successful. So how do you bring this to them and tell, you know, show them that it works? So it didn't happen overnight, Jonathan. I'll be honest with you. It took time. Uh, it took a lot of re research. But for me, the best way to sell it was um, and the best way for them to recognize that it was working is by they saw the results. We were actually uh, preventing more, you know, uh, pre preventing lesser balls getting to the outfield grass. Now balls were hit and people were standing in front of them. Um, now, you know, you saw players making more plays because they were in better position to make plays. You know, and that's what, the, you know, people forget about shifting is now you're sealing certain areas of the field and now you find yourself more players actually around the baseball. You know what I'm saying? And that's what shifting is all about. You seal certain part of the field and you put more defenders there because that's what the data shows. That's what the way we're going to pitch to this guy and that's the way this hitter reacts to that certain type of pitches and that's his tendencies, and they don't really hit away from those tendencies. They hit right into those tendencies, and I want to make sure I have three or four guys around the baseball. Now, you have to, when you, when you sell this, you have to convince coaches and players that you can let the emotion or the result, that one ball that got through, take the best out of you and walk away from the plan, walk away from the game plan, walk away from the strategy. You can't do that, you know, because uh, one thing that I learned quickly in, 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 in New York was that every game matter. It's like that in, in, every, in every major league game. I understand that. But especially in New York, when you play in that, in that arena, every game matters. And that ground ball that gets through that hole, that lefty beat that shift in, in May, and you play them again in June, they never forget about that ground ball. Right. But you show them that that's, that ground ball is the only one they hit in that hole. There's – 32 other ground balls over here, but they can't forget about that one ground ball that beat you in May. You know what I'm saying? So getting past that emotional uh, part of the game, uh, you have to, if you're going to implement some of this shifting, and at the end of the day, when you, when you show the players the data, you'll see that you gain more out. We are a better player because we are around the ball more. Oh, that's really, really good. And one thing that you mentioned, like they remember that one ground ball, I can just imagine a pitcher just turning around and going, really? Like what's, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, so and I'm it, sure that happened some too. Early, early, but then, you know, then you, you know, you sit down with them and you show them the data, you know, uh, you know, for example, you know, this is who you are. This is where guys hit the ball against you. But you have to take time and you have to show them. But you can't show them. You can't sell it to them if they can't trust you. If they see that you put in the work and the research and you're in front of that computer and you're putting your time, they like, you know what, this guy, you know, this guy wants to help us. You know, it's not like there's a sheet of piece of paper that's coming from the office, you know, front office. Here you go. This is how we know. There's, 
It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a group effort. It's everyone is involved, pitching coach, manager, you know, our R&D department. Everyone has to say on the process. I really like that. And, you know, another thing that, that goes in with shifts too, it's having some versatile infielders. And, and you do, like you, with the Astros, you guys do. I know Bregman is, would be one of the best shortstops in mm-hmm. the league if, if you played there, but you've also got Carlos Correa. Uh, and so let's let's talk about versatility too, because now, especially when you got started, everyone was playing a traditional position, so they made essentially the same throw. You're in the same place for you know if a bunt happens, but then and stolen bases, and then you go to these shifts where they're looking around the field and they're going, okay, this is really weird. I re- probably haven't made a throw from shortstop if it's a second baseman since like college or little mm-hmm. league or whatever. So how did you go about teaching that and how do you continue to teach that and just kind of walk us through that a little bit if you don't mind? Well, you know, uh, during spring training and even during the season, I make sure that all those players take ground balls in those different positions. So, you know, when um, I'll two ways on the shortstop side, you know, in a couple of weeks when we start the season, it's not the first time he's been there. We take ground balls in that spot during spring training. We do drills where he's taking ground balls in that spot. You know, I use PowerPoint presentations to, um, to show shift uh, coverage, you know, on a cut and relay. Where are we going to go? So we not only practice on the field, but we also have PowerPoint presentation, PowerPoint presentations where I show them exactly where to go. And I share that, you know, we put them on their iPad. So, in, 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 you know, in case we're going to play a high shifting team number, you know, like the Rangers who we shift a ton, you know, oh, let's review how we're going to defend for example like a gallo and where are we going to be if there's a man on first base and he's a ball in the gap all that stuff you know we work on that we put our players in that position before the season starts so they are aware uh, of how they're going to you know handle the baseball the ball is hit to them on that side of the field you know I, I i show carlos you know he turns ground ball he turns double plays from from the second base side so as a ground ball is hit to breakman on the on the left side now he knows how to piece footwork around the back we expose him to all that kind of stuff so when the game starts they're all ready to go and they know the they don't know their responsibilities oh no doubt i love that uh and so with uh with that i mean obviously that that is taking the world by storm people are shifting like crazy now and and for good reason and so that's that's really cool that, that you were able to see kind of that transition period and now see where where that has taken uh, but let's let's talk about what a, a bench coach does. So this is your current role, and I know you're you're an infield guy at heart. You started as a hitting coach, and so you've got all of those different backgrounds to it. But I, I don't know if I've had like a big league bench coach on the show, and so I'm I'm curious, and I know our listeners are curious exactly what what a bench coach coach does. Uh, what do they do during games? What do they do to prepare for the games? And just, then just kind of take us through. Uh, some different details uh, of what what that role entails. Okay, so I could walk you through one of my you know one of my days. You know, let's just say we game is a seven oh five game. I usually get to the ballpark around eleven a.m. and I have a I have a checklist of things that uh, I do the night the, the night before. Make sure that I I go over those things. You know, sometimes that list sometimes uh, changes changes daily. You know. Sometimes I have less things to do the next day. Sometimes I have more things to do the next day. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I have some early work that I need to uh, make sure that I work with some of my guys. Either it's injuries, I want to make sure that I go through the uh, training room and, and, and make sure I check on, on some of the players, 
you know, I make notes on having a conversation to go over a particular player with one of my players. So I have a list of things that I, when I get there, I start checking um, as I go prior to that first pitch at 7.05. So uh, my first responsibility, the first things I do when I walk in the club, I well, I, you know, a manager hands me the lineup and I type that in. I hand him, um, you know, the, his lineup cards. He's in the, in the his package that he needs uh, for today's game. Um, I, I, then I also I put the schedule together for the players. You know, put the hitting groups, the time you're going to stretch. Um, if there's any early work, everything will be posted on on the board. Um, after I take care of that stuff, uh, now I start diving into my my work which I'm also the infield coach. So now I started studying how are we going to defend that team, uh, that team that day against our, partic- against our starter. So I do some research on that. That takes me a little bit over an hour. Um, so by the time I start, I finish doing that work, um, it's already like around 1.30 now. Players are start showing up. Now I like to go and start walking around and start, you know, feeling the temperature in the room, see what the fellows are talking about. Um, see if there is any fire that needs to be put, you know, put out because uh, I think one of the jo- one of my uh, main responsibility is trying to put fires before it gets to the manager's office. So I make sure that we all on the same the same page uh, that we're all talking, you know, about tonight's game that everybody is, is ready to go. So I go to the cage and I touch base with the hitting coaches. Is there someone there? We watch film together and just kind of bring everyone into today's, today's, you know, today, tonight's game. Um, then after that, um, I start, you know, getting ready for my early work. Um, we begin like on four if we're playing at home. Um, and I go tackle that with uh, our coaches. And then after that, um, just start, you know, start visualizing the game. I like, you know, an hour and a half prior to the game. I like to, you know, um, watch a little bit of film um, and start, you know, kind of watching the game at, you know, how, how are we going to use the bullpen? What's the manager's going to need uh, doing that game? You know, worst case scenarios, best case scenarios. So I start kind of playing my own game in my mind around an hour, an hour and a half before the game. So when the game starts, it becomes more of a reaction instead of, you know, more instinctual instead of, you know, uh, not being prepared. You know what I'm saying? So I, I like to do some visualization an hour, an hour and a half before the game starts. Oh, I love that. And I, I'm a routine-oriented person, but something that I didn't really think about because we didn't really get to have a season this year was just the importance of having that routine and mm-hmm. being able to like, okay, by this time I need to do X, by this time I need to do Y. And does that, does that change uh, as the season goes on? Or is it something that you have some leeway within there? Do you make sure you have time for yourself? This was something that uh, our infield coordinator has been taking all of the fourth coaches in our uh, organization kind of under his wing and just saying, hey, these are some things that you would have had to learn during the season, but we haven't gotten to yet. Right. And, and so he's like, okay, routine is one of them. And so he kind of took us through his routine. And so that's been a question that I've, that I've asked everyone that that I've had that's in pro ball, because I think it's so, so important. Uh, Would you echo that? And, and just kind of, is that something that you found out as well? I do, Jonathan, you know, uh, and, and you will, when you start, when you start coaching, you'll figure out what works for you best. Um, You know, I've seen, a lot of great coaches and their routines and things that I like, things that I don't like. So, and you make it your own. Um, 
I, I think the best advice that I could get to coaches when, when they start coaching, when it comes to their routine is make sure you take care of your work uh, first. So when the players start showing up to the ballpark, all your attention goes to them. The worst case, you know, the worst thing that can happen is that when, he's, when guys start getting showing up to the cage, you still haven't written your report or you still haven't watched video and you're not ready for a player or you're showing up to the cage late because you're still tackling something that you should have done a while ago or the night before. No, that's super, super good. And again, you hit the nail on the head with that. And I, <laughs> I love that. I love getting to hear that. Cause again, if, if we talk about uh, we're putting our players first, then we make we need to make sure that we schedule around that. It's like, for me right now, it's family time. It's like, okay, I've got X amount of zoom meetings this week and I've got, I've got the opportunity to interview you and some other things. And it's like, okay, now I need to make sure that I put family time on the schedule because sometimes, and it just, it just gets, you know, it gets pushed to the back burner if we get busy. And I'm sure it's the same thing with your players because it's, it's like for me being a detail oriented person, if I don't have it on the schedule, like I've, I've started to put meditation on my schedule because then mm-hmm. I, if I don't, it just gets pushed back. As a coach, visualization, meditation, I, I don't know if those two are, are, are a similar thing for you, but it's something that I'm really trying to do a better job of because I read so many books and I know Tools of Titans uh, by Tim Ferriss is like this huge, thick, basically a Bible of a book. And I think he said, and he interviews some of the greatest people in their industries in the world. And he said like 70% of them meditate. And I'm like, okay, well that would, you know, success leaves clues. So maybe I need to start meditating and just making sure I'm in the present moment and things like that. Is that something that you're very conscious of that you make sure you, that you need to do every single day just to not feel overwhelmed. And I, I, we're we're talking to a lot of coaches here. And so this is kind of like, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, we're, we're too tough to talk about that stuff too, but we also have to take care of ourselves. And that's why I bring it up. So I'd love to hear you on that. Yeah, no doubt. You know, um, it's a really good question. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home and something that I make sure that I do every single day, uh, different times during the day is take time to pray and, you know, take time to, you know, ask for help, ask for guidance from God. At least I do a lot because it could get very overwhelmed, you know? Um, so throughout my day, I make sure that, um, you know, I take time, I go in, into a room or, um, and, you know, grab the Bible, grab a book or, you know, something that reminds me that, Joe, this, are, this is what has gotten you here. Don't forget about those things. Make sure you take time to take a step back and breathe and, and, and remind yourself how blessed we are to be in a position that we are in. Um, I think that keeps us sane. It keeps us uh, engaged in the process and keeps us hungry, too. So taking time to pray and thank God for the great opportunities that we have, at least, you know, I get an opportunity to watch the best players in the world every single day. And that's a blessing, you know, Um, you know, I have a wife, I have two healthy little girls that I get to share my experiences and, and, you know, and, and we have to make sure that we take time to do those things to be able to do our jobs because it's, it gets tough. And in the major league season, we're playing 162 games and, you know, you're trying to be the best you can be every single day. You can get very overwhelming, but don't forget about what got you there, your core values and, um, you know, and your faith. Oh, it's so, so good. And, and again, it's, it's when you, 
you know, I, I Christian guy and, uh, and again, praying is one of those things is like, if I don't have a specific time to do it, then I get busy. And I know that that's, a, that's a really bad excuse, but I also know that that's, that that's just something that happens for me. And so just being conscious of that and another thing, another really cool experience that we get to have is we have, uh, so many different players from different backgrounds, right. And, and different experiences, but also that speak different languages. And so something for me, I'm not bilingual. I'm, I'm really trying to learn Spanish. It's not an easy thing to do. And uh, well, you would know, you, I'm, I'm sure you, you had that experience with English. Uh, but what's your best advice for guys like me who are trying to learn, uh, or even you know, Latin guys who are trying to learn uh, English, what's your best advice on communication to one side or the other? Or even, you know, we, we have players from Asia learning, trying to learn some different phrases in their language. Uh, but you know, one thing for me that I thought about too, was there was that video that came out with Bregman. Uh, I think it was last off season to where he's like just yelling random Spanish phrases and, and Carlos Correa is like, yeah, he's does not speak very good Spanish, but he's not afraid to try. And he sure. said that, that that got him so much buy-in with him because he was really trying to learn it. And I was like, man, that's, you know, that's such a really like that's such an enlightening statement to hear because I, I think sometimes we are afraid to look like an idiot. And I know that I am at times, uh, but is, is that, is that your best advice to just basically go Alex Bregman and just try to give your best broken Spanish? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, you, okay. you know, now go, now go nuts, but you know, actually try to do the best you can to learn the language and players appreciate when they see you trying to learn the language and they will actually help you learn the language if you're trying. You know, reading, uh, you know, a lot of the guys turn on the, you know, the soap operas on, on TV, you know, Telemundo, and they're, they're watching, you know, Latin TV in the clubhouse because they, you know, they enjoy what they see on TV and they also kind of get to learn it. And, and so um, I encourage uh, coaches to try to learn um, the language um, and don't be afraid of, you know, speaking up and players are not going to make fun of you, man. They're going to help you. They see you trying, they're going to help you. Oh, great, great advice. And so it's, it's something that, again, it comes up in, in a lot of different conversations because at the end of the day, we as coaches, we want to be able to connect with our players and, and the lang we, we call it language barrier because it is one, but it's also an opportunity for us to, man, to, for them to see us fail massively at trying to speak a different language. And I think that that, that, that almost helps with that trust and that. No doubt. And they're like, man, he's, he's trying, I'm trying, trying. No we can doubt. do this together. Oh, I really no like that. Uh, no doubt. And you know, I, no, and let me just one more thing. It's like, sure, you know, if you, um, you know, I always encourage players if there is, you know, like a phrase, like challenge the players to teach you one thing, you know, when you're in the cages with them or, you know, mm -hmm. one phrase or something, you know, something that you could build on. So by the end of the week, by the end of the month, you complete, you're completing sentences or, you know, you're completing, you're completing a kind of whole conversation with them in the cage. You know, it's, you know, players want to help too, you know. So if you always find, hey, you know, help me how to say this. And, and then the next day, hey, help me how to say this. Now all of a sudden you're putting sentences together and you find yourself having conversation with, with Spanish-speaking players, or, you know, or players from, you know, from Asia or, mm -hmm. or, you know, or French, whatever the case might be, sure. you know. Sure. Really, really cool. Uh, but another thing that, that I was curious about is, is in dugout conversations for you. I haven't had a big league manager on. Maybe you can help me with that at some point in time. But uh, for a bench coach, what does an in-game and dugout conversation consist of? What is kind of the theme behind most of yours? Are you With hitting coaches, it's almost like 
game planning and then talking their players off of a ledge, right? Sure, because they, sure, they're like, sure. oh, man, you know, we're getting freaking four seam 98 Garrett Cole four seamers <laughs> at our belly button, right? What are we going to do with that? And you've right. gotten the, the pleasure to see that the last couple of years uh, yeah, on, on yeah. the better side. But what does an in-game conversation look like for you? And then just kind of walk us through what, what your role is during a game. Well, first of all, it starts with, um, you know, my in-game, like my pre-game preparation. I think if you do a good job of preparing for the game, you're able to slow the game down just like a player. You know what I'm saying? Don't wait till the game starts to be going through your notes on how, you know, what's this, you know, how, what's this guy against lefties or how good is this matchup against this, this guy? No, that is just, it's too late. Now you find yourself scrambling. That's me as, uh, you know, as a bench coach. I like to do all my homework prior to the game. And then, like I told you earlier, I visualize base case scenario, worst case scenario. I already can envision matchups if they're ahead. If we are, if we are ahead, who they're going to use? Who are we going to use uh, against, you know, against this pitcher in that particular spot? All those scenarios, I already play them um, prior to the game. So now when the game starts, I'm in a position to make suggestions to, to the manager. Um, I like to speak the game. I like to talk the game. You know, I go at the end of the dugout and I'm asking the hitting coach questions. I'm asking some of the players questions to make sure that they're watching the game. I like to give them, and you know, in the fifth inning, I could already see an eighth inning of bat for that particular hitter. Hey, you know, it's a tie game. I could see you facing so-and-so in the eighth. Make sure that you're ready for it. You know, so I'm always, you always find myself pacing the dugout. I will go in and ask, you know, uh, the pitching coach, what do you think about uh, – so-and-so in this situation, if he comes up in, in the seventh or the eighth, who you like. And then, okay, that's who you like because I'm always find myself as the guy in the middle, manager goes to the pitching coach, and then I, I get the uh, – I kind of get the swing vote in a way. So um, I want to make sure that I give the manager a well-thought uh, response uh, so he can make a well-thought decision uh, when it's time to – decide you know who to bring in and who we're gonna who we're gonna use really really good now do you guys do a a post-game recap or do you guys wait until like the next day or do you give recaps in general I mean how, how does that work of like breaking down the previous game and, and how, do, how do you guys do it we don't we usually I usually like to use the next day I usually like to let the guys go home um, and sleep on some stuff and there's something that needs to be brought up I'll do it the next day um, either something that happened that needs to be addressed the night, you know, that same night, I'll do it. But um, timing is very important. You know, you, all, you know, if, if you use your, your timing bullet the wrong way, man, um, you might lose that player for a very long time. So, um, again, goes back to, tr you know, trust and getting to know your players. So when it's time to coach them, you know when to coach them. Oh, that's a great point. Uh, and then another thing that, that you're really, it seems like you're very passionate about, and that's mentoring coaches. You know, what, what are some different ways that you do that? And then we've got a lot of coaches from a lot of different ages that are listening to this, but we can all get better. And so what's, what, especially with the younger, younger crew, what is your best advice for that younger generation that's, you know, that, that's going kind of through what you did, which is their playing careers ending and they're, get, they're deciding to get into coaching or they're within their first couple of years of coaching? Uh, you know what, Jonathan, I, the reason why I enjoy you know, mentoring and helping other coaches is because I was helped once in my career and I've still been helped. You know, I had incredible group of people, uh, mentors in my career 
that took time to talk, you know, teach me the importance of like integrity and, and respect and commitment and accountability. They, at, at my early in my career, people took time to taught me those things. And it, it made an impact in my career. So I want to make sure that I share those same, those same teachings to the next generation of major league coaches. That's very important for me. Um, and number two, and this is an advice that I give to any coach that is listening, especially when you make your transition from playing to coaching or even, you know, a coach in a 16U or a 15U. It's, you know, we all have, we all have ambition, ambitions and we all have dreams. And, but you cannot let those get in your way of you doing your job. Um, I think as a coach, Jonathan, I'm sure that you want to coach in the big leagues. The way you get to the big leagues is by doing your job. If there's people watching and if people see you doing your job and putting players first, you will coach in the big leagues. They want to see, is he willing to put his ambitions and his career, you know, to the side? And I'm not saying taking it back because, yes, you want to accomplish your dreams. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that make sure when you're doing your job, which is the job you're doing right now, you put players first. You know, put put the effort and put all your focus in their well-being and in their career and in their development. And people will see that. And they're like, man, I want this guy around my players. I think these guys can have an impact in my clubhouse. I think this guy can have an impact in my organization because there's a lot of people watching. Just like we tell players, you know, there's 29 other teams looking. Well, same thing happens for coaches. There's 29 other teams looking for great coaches. And if you do your job, to the best of your ability and you integrity and you, you know, humble and people, people want people like, like that in their organization. So um, just be yourself and people are watching, man, do your job, be passionate about it. And uh, you will find yourself accomplishing your dreams. I love that. Uh, and uh, when you say do your job, just reminds me of Belichick. It's so simple, but I mean, it's that's simple wins, right? I mean, it's like you take care of enough today's, then then your tomorrows will take care of themselves. And I love you that. Know, in it's such good advice. Yeah, you know, in 2014, when I got to New York, I was a special guest as an instructor. So, um, you know, I was going to spend a year in the front office, but I was brought in uh, spring training to be a special instructor. So uh, I remember Brian Cashman's uh, meeting that year. The title of it was just do your job. Just stay in your lane, take care of your responsibilities, and you're going to be, we're going to be fine. You know, when you get outside of your circle and you try to do somebody else's job, you take your focus away from your job. Now your job is suffering. Now you're not doing your job. You know what I'm saying? So do your job, stay focused, help the players become the best they can be, and everybody's going to, we're all going to succeed. No doubt, no doubt, for sure. So I've, I've got some lightning style questions before you go, uh, and these will just be quick hitters, so I'm just going to ask the question and get out of the way. As someone who's continuing to get better and you, you say that you're continuing to get mentored, what's something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? Uh, let's see. So you know what, now with this, uh, with this quarantine and us not being able to be on the field, something that I'm excited I've been reading about and learning about is some sports science stuff, 
You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to dive in into that stuff because when we get back on the field, we're not going to have the five weeks, six weeks to build these players up. So I'm trying to be how to be efficient, how to, how to put the players in a position where we can uh, build them up uh, with, you know, doing workouts where we're not trying to do too much, but we're doing enough to build them up, um, how to train, uh, how to do our physical work, but mm-hmm. also providing enough time for them to rest and recover. So those are stuff that I'm always being interested in about, um, how to be faster, uh, especially on the defensive side, how to, you know, stuff like that. I'm always intrigued about it, um, you know, because there isn't much data when it comes to efficiency, like when you on the defensive side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always studying how the body works when, you, when you're on defense, your feet, um, you know, pre-pitch pop, uh, or how to do different things. And this time, this quarantine has given me an opportunity to read and do some research and stuff that we can do. And when we get back on the field, we might have three weeks to prepare these players. So we could put some of these things in, in, in play to try to build our guys and get them ready for a season. That was a great answer. What is something that you do in training that your players love? Okay. I, I, I don't want to say they love, but I know my <laughs> players like when we do like game speed drills. And I'm big on that. I, you know, like when I put a spring training together, I do small blocks of, you know, instead of having 15 minutes, 20 minutes of individual, I like to do it in 10 efficiency, get on the field, do your work, do it right, and we get off the field. Um, I'm, big, I'm, I'm big on that uh, because I always believe that players, if we 15, 20 minutes, those last five to seven minutes, you start dragging and the drill uh, starts breaking down just because we've been doing it for too long. So um, I, like to, I like to bring in minor league players to run the bases when we do our team fundamentals, or when we work on our defense. I like to put pressure on our defense. How I do that, I bring guys to, to run the bases. And they like that. I ask the players, hey, no turf today for defense. We're going to put our spikes and we're going to get after it for 10 minutes. And they really respond well to that. And we really uh, get good results doing that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. What is – so, you, you again, you've been a – you were a minor league player for 10 years. Uh, you coached in the minor leagues for 15 years. You've been in the big league. So, you've seen all these different levels. What are some – what maybe is your biggest pet peeve or what is something that if you see other coaches doing, you're like, come on, come on, guy. Like, it, it may be something that you did in the past. I know I look back and I go, man, I sh- uh, that was something that I don't want to do at the end. <laughs> uh, but what are some – what's some different advice on that? Uh, pet peeves, you know um, – if you're doing, if you if you are handling the function, if you're running a drill, and you know, for example, like a PFP, as someone mishandle the baseball, do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we hesitate to ask a Hall of Fame caliber player or a veteran player, hey, "Let's do it again." No, I think if they make a mistake, you should stop the drill. Hey, let's do it again. My pet peeves, and when we ignore the fact that somebody booed a ball and it would, it would, the play was not executed well because we were afraid to say something to a veteran player, you know, so there's no purpose. Might as well just don't practice, right? So don't, don't be afraid of, hey, let's do this again, guys. Okay, let's do it clean. Let's handle the baseball. Uh, another pet peeve of mine is um, as an infield coach, when I watch my infielders warm up in between innings, 
I don't like when they throw from the grass. It's a big pet peeve of mine. I like them to go out in the outfield grass and make a long throw. Because what happens is in between innings, you throw from the grass and you lob in the ball. You don't get a ground ball for three or four innings. Now in the fifth, you get a ground ball in the hole and you want to let it eat. You want to react. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you've just been lobbing the ball. You've been playing catch from the infield grass and you really haven't stretched out your arm. So -hmm. third baseman, get in that foul line and give me one strong one. You know, Carlos, go, go in the hole and give me a strong one. I'll two-way. Go behind second base and give me a long one. You know, Yuli at first base, make sure that you play catch with Brickman and make a long one or two long throws. And they all do that because they know that's one of my pet peeves. But when I see it, you know, just make sure you make some long throws when you warm up your arms. Make sure that you, you build it up. That's another pet peeve of mine. Sure. I know. I love hearing that. And we all have them, but it's like, okay, cool. It's, and those all make sense as to why you would want to do those. So it's not completely out of left field. It's great, great advice. What, what is something that you failed at lately? And you mentioned you're digging into some sports, uh, some, some uh, sports, what was it? Again? Science. Sports, sports science. science stuff. Sorry, I got psychology uh-huh. stuck in my head. I don't know why I'm thinking of that. But some sports science stuff, which if I tried to dive into that, that would be something that I would fail at lately. But what's something that you, that you have failed at lately that you don't mind sharing with us? Well, I don't know if I, I consider myself like a, sports science guy i'm just trying to learn it uh, sure but, you know absolutely it's any and it takes time to you know uh, ask trainers a ton of questions you're just doing research mm-hmm. you just kind of want to know um you know how to make sure our players are uh ready to go every single day um avoiding injuries you know all that kind of stuff so uh something i've failed lately you know i comes to my mind uh not winning the world series um it took me it took me a while to get over that uh, you know, a couple of months ago, um, you know, not winning the World Series. Um, you know, during that time, I was also interviewing for so many managerial jobs, um, and I don't want to call the I don't call those failure. Uh, you know, they were just it's just the time is not there. We're not there yet. Uh, I like to say that as a, um, but you know, going through not winning the World Series, not getting. Uh, not getting one of those jobs, it was a tough moment in my career, you know, but, you know, getting over that wall series was very challenging. I thought we were in a really good position to do it. We had a great team and we, you worked so hard getting to that spot and not being able to win one game at home. Uh, it really took uh, time for me to get over that. For sure. I can only imagine. And so with the resources uh, that you've been digging into, if you could buy any book for somebody, what would that book be? Or, or just anything like that that you don't mind sharing? Uh, you know what? I actually have read three books during, uh, actually two books. I finished two books and I'm halfway through one during quarantine. Uh, and I actually have them right, up, right here somewhere. So I read Stream Ownership, which I is mm-hmm. a very popular book right now. Everyone is reading. That was I, know, I, I couldn't put that book down. That I, I took care of that one pretty quickly. I also found this book, uh, Measure What Matters by John Gore, uh, which it was really good. Um, how to, uh, you know, take care of, uh, you know, things within in your, in your company and how to be efficient and how to measure things that really matters and are important in, in, mm-hmm. in, in your workplace. And in this case, on, in, in your clubhouse. And, uh, and I'm reading right now, we're all in this together by Mike Robbins, uh, oh, how good is which that is thing? a really, yeah, it's really good. Um, we actually, uh, the Astros, uh, just send it to, uh, 
to us, to all the coaches, and and um, I'm halfway through it. So those are kind of the uh, three books that I've I've worked on during during this uh, during this uh, quarantine. And um, and I like to read a lot of articles. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know if I'm always asking our trainers and um, you know that if they see something. Um, they read something to, you know, email it to me so I can, so I can read and research and, you know, I, I make questions, if I have questions for them, I text them and uh, for stuff like that. I'm always trying to, um, you know, um, learn, you know, mm-hmm. I think the best investment you can do is investing in yourself, you know, um, always mm-hmm. trying to be better. Um, so reading and asking questions and don't be afraid to uh, reach out to um, to people that uh, that you think might uh, have a different answer than you do because you want to get someone who have a different perspective and challenge your you want to be challenged you know want people to challenge your opinion so don't be afraid to uh, add for someone to have a different perspective in things and and have a respectful conversation and, and debate about certain uh, uh, topics and subjects you know Right, right. No, it's super good. And, and again, the Mike Robbins book has been a sneaky, really good one. I heard him on yeah. John Gordon's podcast and like the first, we're talking a lot about culture in our podcast today, but he kind of outlines a lot of things that we talked about. Uh, and, and another cool thing about him too, is he played minor league baseball, you know, yeah, which, which very, uh, it really, there's a lot of sports references, even though he's a business leader now, which is, is right. really cool. So uh, thank you for throwing that in there because that's that's been one that I've read. I've been like, not enough people are talking about this one, but it's really really good. I guess maybe because you know, it only came out a month or two ago, right? And the chapter that really uh, the topic that has really caught my attention is when he talks about psychological safety. Oh man, uh, yes, which is very important um, when you have uh, you know you have you build this culture and you want you know people inside your 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 you know your circle and you know the, the clubhouse your culture that you're building you want people to feel comfortable to speak up and mm-hmm. not be afraid of being embarrassed or being made fun of and uh you know you want that sense of freedom in your clubhouse that we spoke about uh earlier mm-hmm. in our conversation but it's very true you know um i've been i've seen coaches that can that can be intimidating use power to um you know, gain, um, gain the ed- gain edge over certain topic or in a conversation. And I just think that when you have someone who, uh, is not afraid to listen and be challenged, uh, um, are, is the, is the West is the, is the way to go. It's, it's how you actually find answers to the problems. It went, is when everyone has a seat on the table and everyone feels comfortable and free to speak their mind. Sure, for sure. Well, I know that uh, that we t- we took up a lot of time. I could sit here and literally talk with you all all day, every day. And so, you know, one thing that that I know that you mentioned to me yesterday is you're you're starting to do was it Zoom calls? Uh, the the better yeah. tomorrow stuff. So I've I've got yes. a PDF, and I, I will make sure that I send that out and link it in the show notes. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about that if they want to get in touch, if they want to talk with you, if they want to Zoom with you, and and just kind of walk us through that if you don't mind. Sure. So Jonathan, so during this quarantine, you know, during this time, um, I, some coaches around the country and some players uh, asked me if I was uh, willing to, to like zoom lessons. So I'm like, you know what, 
I'm a coach. I love to teach. I have time during the day. So I found myself, you know, doing baseball clinics in my garage and showing fielding fundamentals. You know, um, I find myself, uh, you know, getting 15, 20 coaches uh, that I know um, that I've done, like, uh, public speaking to their baseball clinics, uh, doing the baseball clinics on the baseball schools. And I find myself, you know, 10 to 15 of them and using PowerPoint presentations and video just to talk about the game, fundamentals, strategy. And, um, and it's something I've been doing for the last two and a half months. And, and it's been great. Uh, I really love uh, the feedback I've gotten from it. And, you know, uh, I think it, it gives me an opportunity to give back uh, of, you know, knowledge that I've gained through my experiences and also mentoring people that, uh, that are looking for a way to get better. You know, mm-hmm. that's something that I'm very passionate about. And so uh, something I've, I'm doing. So if there's someone who's interested out there, you know, feel free to reach out and, we could, we could, you know, work something out. Absolutely. Sure. And, um, what would the, what would, how would they reach out to you? What would your email be for, to try and get in touch with you about that? So I, you know, on the, on the PDF, I think I put my, uh, my information is there. It's uh, Joe Espada four at gmail.com. And there's also my, uh, Josue Espada, which is my Instagram, um, account name, account name. Perfect. Perfect. I'll so make they sure could I send me, they, yeah, they could send me a message there and we could, uh, you know, get something, make something happen. Perfect. I will link that in the show notes. Make sure that, uh, if you guys are interested in that, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, but for our listeners, I'm just going to open up the mic for you. Uh, and I'm going to mute myself. Is there, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? No, I want to, again, Jonathan, thank you for having me in your show. And I think what you're doing is great. Um, you know, I, I've listened to some of the interviews that you have conducted and you have brought some really good people in your show, uh, people that I know personally. And I, I think this is really good for the baseball community and for the people who are trying to, you know, uh, get, you know, trying to gain ideas and trying to, how can we help our next generation of baseball players, next generation of, 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 you know, kids that are looking for a way to a better life. And I think, you know, that's what baseball did for me personally growing up in Puerto Rico. So I think uh, this is fantastic. And I encourage you to continue to do this. Um, you have a fan here. Um, so um, I'm, you know, anything I can do to help you and promote um, the game of baseball and how I can change and help you uh, help, help me help our youth, uh, so I'm more than happy to uh, share my opinion and my ideas and, and, and help, uh, help the, next, uh, the next wave of coaches that are coming up and have the same dream that you and I had and are living our dreams right now. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.